Howdy. That's Texan for hello. This is Series 14 of Satisfied. The Series 14 podcasts enhance the Adorn Yourself with Godliness Bible study, covering the books of 1 Timothy and Titus in the New Testament. I'm Melanie Newton, just an everyday kind of woman who loves the Lord and His Word. In the last podcast, we looked at why godliness flows from knowing Christ. Today's podcast will cover Lesson 3 of the Adorn Yourself with Godliness Bible Study. We will see how important loyalty to God is to adorning yourself with godliness. The passage we study today in 1 Timothy chapter 2 has been the subject of controversy and misunderstanding for years. There are probably as many explanations of what verses 9 through 15 mean as there are words in those verses. Okay, that's an exaggeration, but doing a Google search will net at least 10 different opinions about them. In the study, we tried to focus on the text, what it says, and what it could have meant to those who received and heard the words written. As always, we start with the truth of what we can know. And this is one truth we can know. Jesus Christ demonstrated God's love for women, which has elevated the position of women wherever the gospel has taken hold. To fully appreciate Jesus' approach to women, we need to step back in time into the shoes of the first century woman. It was tough to be a woman living around the rim of the Mediterranean Sea at that time. In both Greek and Roman cultures, women held a second-rate status with few legal rights, except for certain areas. Because of Old Testament teachings, Jewish women had more honor in their homes than their Roman counterparts. The Lord Jesus demonstrated in His life on earth how much He loved and valued women. He taught them truth about God, forgave them for their sins, accepted them in His circle of followers, and gave new life to them after His resurrection. His care for them was so countercultural to what they had previously known. What you see in the Gospels is that Jesus never spoke condescendingly to women, never made derogatory jokes about them, nor did he ever humiliate them. Women who knew him loved him. They wanted to follow and serve him. You can see all this in my two New Testament women Bible studies, Live Out His Love and Satisfied by His Love. The apostles continued Jesus' attitude toward women. Every local church incorporated women into the body of believers and taught them the truths of the faith along with the men. Women played a significant role in the church's expansion. They assisted the apostles as they had assisted the Lord. They supported the church through hospitality and financial gifts. Women were active in speaking God's word. That's called prophesying. And they were active in praying in the public worship service alongside the male members of the congregation. Women were considered qualified and were given the opportunity to minister in many ways both inside and outside the church gathering. Only two restrictions were apparently placed on women in the church. The two we see in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 11, and chapter 3, verses 1 through 7. Women are restricted from the ongoing authoritative teaching of a woman over man in the church and the position of elder. Now, before you close your ears, that is consistent with God's activity in the Old Testament. In Genesis chapter 18, verse 19, God made Abraham responsible for the spiritual welfare of his household and those who would come after him. Regarding the religious worship of Israel under the Mosaic Law, 
only males of the tribe of Levi who descended from Aaron could serve as priests. God excluded other males and all females from the religious authority of priesthood. All men and women could freely minister to the community in many other ways. God always provides freedom within boundaries. But modern women don't like that. We don't like boundaries. We don't like to be told we can't do something we want to do. It's like the Garden of Eden all over again. God told the first humans they could eat from any and every tree of the garden, all they wanted to eat, except for just one. So what did they go for? The one. Eve, the first woman, was deceived by Satan about why God had placed a restriction on that tree. She saw that the fruit of the forbidden tree was desirable and she went for it. That's what Paul was referring to in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 12 through 14. Eve wanted what wasn't God's will for her or for Adam either. Christian women have the freedom to learn every aspect of the Bible from Genesis to Revelation. We can minister in many ways to many people, using our spiritual gifts to teach women and children in the body of Christ. We can hold the position of deacon and serve the church in that way. God has said no to women holding the position of elder and being the primary ongoing authoritative teacher of men in a church setting. But we can teach men in a church setting under the authority of the elders. I was asked by the elders of my church to teach a three-week class on biblical creation to a co-ed Sunday school class. Because I was under their authority and had some expertise that they didn't have, my teaching of that class was biblical. Women through the centuries have been used of God to share the gospel and establish churches. Once those churches were established, male elders were appointed to take over the ongoing authoritative discipleship of the church members. Freedom within boundaries. Like I said earlier, we don't like to be told we can't do something we want to do. Demanding freedom outside of the boundaries God has set always leads to straying from devotion to the Lord, from loyalty to Him. Loyalty is the quality of devotion or attachment to somebody or something. It's both a feeling and an action. And as we've been studying, your loyalty to God affects how you approach life and how you conduct yourself. Whether you will adorn yourself with godliness or with ungodliness. Whether you will exalt yourself or exalt God. From the scriptures, I've learned four truths about loyalty to the Lord. Truth number one, for every woman who calls herself a Christian, Jesus deserves your loyalty. The moment you trust in Jesus Christ as your Savior, you get a new life fused together with His and a new identity. You are now said to be in Christ, a child of God, one of God's saints, totally accepted and loved by Him. This new identity is something you can never lose. You are set free to live a radically different kind of life. And in that freedom, you have a choice. Who are you going to serve with your life now? God or yourself? That choice was ever before Paul as well. In his life and his words, he communicated to Jesus, I am your man forever. Years ago, I made that choice too. When I said to Jesus, I am your woman forever. I serve you. But how do we do that with all the distractions around us. We stay loyal through humility and obedience. Loyalty requires humility 
and humility leads to obedience. Both of those offer a reward. Let's first look at why loyalty requires humility. That's truth number two. In the New Testament, humility refers to how you think of yourself. It pictures a servant bowing before her master. The Greeks did not desire or reward humility, so it was a rare word in that culture. The New Testament writers took that word humility and elevated it because it is so totally associated with Jesus and being with him. Jesus said, come to me because I am gentle and humble in heart. In the Bible, humility is associated with gentleness. Gentleness in the Bible carries the idea of strength under control. When you hold a newborn baby, you have the strength to crush that child, but you choose not to do so. Your strength is under control. You could verbally slash someone to pieces whenever you get angry, but you choose not to do so. That's strength under control. Biblical gentleness, that strength under control, is a work of the Holy Spirit in someone's life, and it's the outworking of humility. Humility is a decision you make in your mind. You choose humility before God by recognizing His authority over you and desiring what He wants more than what you want. You know that you've made that decision when you're willing to trust in God's goodness and accept His dealings with you as good without fighting Him on it. Humility is the opposite of self-assertiveness and self-interest. It's not occupied with self at all. Humility is not renouncing that you can do some things well. It is recognizing that you do those things well because God gave you the genetics, the intelligence, and the opportunity to do them. And you give Him the credit for it. It also recognizes God's authority over you in every area of your life, including what you can and cannot do within His will in the local church. Loyalty requires humility. Truth number three, humility leads to obedience. What good is a servant who refuses to obey? Or who is out there trumpeting herself in her own will and occasionally remembering to do what Jesus wants? Or picking and choosing what she wants to obey? What good is that? We can know God's will on a great many things. Humility before God means I've already got His authority settled in my mind. Now I can obey Him in the rest of what He desires for my life to please Him, to adorn ourselves with godliness. And we see what that looks like in 1 Timothy and Titus. When Paul wrote in 1 Timothy 2, verse 11, that women should learn in quietness and full submission, he was referring to humility and obedience. God gave us women our gift of verbal communication. Someone said we need to use 20,000 words per day. That came from Him. He expects our use of words to honor Him and teach about Him. But sometimes He wants us to be quiet, to learn from others rather than babbling our own words, to hold our tongues and just be quiet. I know for myself that I spend way too much time talking and not enough time listening. A lot of us women are like that. In three specific situations in the New Testament, Christian women are instructed to be quiet, to hold your words. 
In 1 Peter chapter 3, a Christian woman who is married to a non-believer is to demonstrate Christ to her husband through her conduct rather than through her words. Devotion to God expressed in a life that pleases Him does not require talking all the time. In 1 Corinthians 14, wives in the church worship setting are instructed not to question their husbands during the church gathering. Just as in 1 Timothy chapter 2, the purpose is to prevent disruption of the church worship gathering. In all three situations, the purpose for God's command is to benefit others. It is not to demean women. The same is true regarding God's instructions to women in the church in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 12. Recognizing that God designed a man to learn spiritual teaching best from another man is humility. Obeying that command without fighting God on it is serving Christ. Once again, the purpose for God's command is to benefit others. It's not to demean women. And get this, the command only applies to the local church. It has nothing to do with any other aspect of life in the community, government, education, or business. What are some hindrances to our obedience? Well, one hindrance to obedience is a lack of understanding of God's commands, especially the why. Biblical commands and guidelines are boundaries for us to be able to enjoy a satisfying and abundant life. Our humility before God will lead us to believe that. In God's wisdom, He knows that a man will learn best in the spiritual realm when being taught by another man of God. Another hindrance to obedience is selectively choosing what we will obey. <laughs> that leads us to being what the Bible describes as weak-willed women always learning but never able to recognize truth for what it really is. Weak-willed means undisciplined. It's like a child's behavior, especially one who wants everything, even stuff that the parent says is not good, and so refuses to trust the parent and obey. They are really weak-willed to do the right thing. For women, this would be choosing to take your own way for approaching life in spite of instruction or warnings that it will be destructive. What's missing here? Humility. It's declaring, I'm part Jesus' woman because I'm saved and going to heaven when I die, but the rest of me is my own. Sometimes that's true of my life. Not getting the ugliness of our sin also hinders obedience. What happened to Jesus before and during His crucifixion is a picture of the ugliness of sin that He took upon Himself on that cross. Has anything in recent headlines just made you sick? Anytime you choose not to obey God's word on some issue, lying, envy, complaining, immorality, it's as ugly in God's sight as that heinous crime. Do you believe your cruel words when angry is as ugly as that worst thing? Or your constant worry? Or your rebellion against authority? Or living with a man who is not your husband? or your lack of respect for the one who is your spouse. Maybe they don't have the same consequences, but they're just as ugly. Obedience is necessary to remain loyal to Jesus and live a life that pleases Him. Humility is the decision you make in your mind that you are not God, that Jesus is your master, and you serve Him by obedience to Him. The rewards of being loyal to Jesus are immense and incomparable to anything the world can offer you. One of those rewards is protection. That leads to truth number four, obedience offers protection. In Acts chapter 20, 
Paul met with the Ephesian church elders when he was on his way to Jerusalem. This would have been about seven years before writing 1 Timothy. He warned his friends about what would surely happen to distract them from their loyalty to Jesus alone. This is what he told them. Keep watch over yourselves and all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. I know that after I leave, savage wolves will come in among you and will not spare the flock. Even from your own number, men will arise and distort the truth in order to draw away disciples after them. So be on your guard. His words reveal how obedience is necessary to protect yourself from those who distort the truth and draw you away from your loyal love of Jesus. Visualize what Paul is saying. Savage wolves will attack from outside or from within the flock itself dressed in sheep's clothing. Seven years later, it's there. Distorted truth. False teachers in the church. We're seeing it right here in this letter called 1 Timothy. Here's the key. When you've humbled yourself before Jesus as your master and chosen to obey his commands revealed to you in the Bible, you will be able to recognize truth from error, from anything that is distorted. But when you resist the discipline that comes from obedience, you're vulnerable to embracing whatever new teaching that comes along as a fad or cultural adaptation, and you cannot recognize the truth when you see it. Distorted truth takes many forms and requires a lot more time to explore than we have here. My series three podcasts cover common examples of distorted truth in our culture. Beware of anything that promotes disobedience to God's commands and robs you from the joy and benefits of loyalty to Jesus. Obedience offers protection. That is the crux of what is said in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 15, that very difficult verse to understand. We may not fully know what it means, but we do know this. Women can choose to stay faithful to Jesus Christ as their protector and deliverer from false teaching, from deception, and even from their own selfish pursuits. He is faithful and will do it. Loyalty affects how you adorn yourself with godliness or with all those other options out there that offer nothing lasting. Jesus as Lord deserves our loyalty. Loyalty requires humility. Humility leads to obedience. And obedience offers protection from being sucked into every wave of teaching that exalts the individual over God. Have you already made that decision to say, Lord Jesus, I am your woman every day. If not, will you do that today? Let Jesus satisfy your heart with such love for God that you will want to live a life that pleases Him. Until next time, I'm Melanie Newton, and this is Series 14 of Satisfied.